Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to United Hour your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Ed. Yeah, welcoming back Ed, who used to be regular in the rotation. We've not heard you on the pod for a while. No, yeah. Well, life gets in the way sometimes. And, you know, with all the well-meaning in the world, sometimes I just don't have the time to get in in on the pods. But I do watch most of the games, well, all the games. So I have opinions. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, now though, yeah, we did manage to get your a bit of you edited in on the kind of manager chat a couple of podcasts ago. Um, but yeah, I know you're always giving your opinions there anyway. But yeah, nice to get a different voice back on. Like I say, I know life does get in the way, kids and work and whatever has yeah. been a problem, and that's why we've been trying to get three people on one podcast for a while now, and just yeah, haven't managed to do it for ages now. Um, but yeah, you unfortunately <laughs> have the great task of talking about Everton versus Manchester United uh, we were actually planning to record on Saturday straight after the game but none of us could be asked. Yeah. we were just like such a like just wally to forget football and uh, yeah so yeah we are convening now on Monday with after having a couple of days to think about things about where we are and all uh, but yeah look that I mean there's always a point sometimes when it is with managers and the season on when you finally kind of lose hope. And yeah, I, and I think you're actually more often in my boat where. Yeah. Yeah, you, I am. Yeah. You thought we was, you were still pretty confident at top four, like just a few weeks ago uh, yeah, as well, right? Yeah. I was looking like at the start of February, I was thinking, oh, we've got a few decent games coming up here. If we, and, it, and that was a time when you were saying on the last pod where we were playing well, just not scoring. I was thinking, yeah, this could come together now and we might get on a decent run and just pip, pip others to the top four but it just sort of happened as it and then uh, yeah I think I don't, I don't know when I gave up maybe two games ago I can't remember now but Leicester probably did we beat Leicester no we didn't we didn't we no yeah against... it was 1-1 one, one. No. that was the last yeah. yeah last week yeah uh, yeah these have been the ones coming back from international break where you're like look we can still put a run together still do it yeah. and then to come out of these two games with basically one point against a very average Leicester team and against, yeah, quite honestly, an absolutely awful Everton team. And we managed to come out with a 1-0 loss and uh, no points at all. It's just, like, absolutely devastating. So, yeah, for me as well, like, I'm kind of now pretty much written it off. Even though you look at, like, the table and, like, mathematically, we're still, like, in contention. But Tottenham look like they're hitting a bit of form at the right time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was the thing. Like, that's why I thought we could because I knew... Arsenal were going to bottle it as they yeah. have done now yeah. after two losses in a row yeah. and uh, you know Tottenham okay they're showing a bit of form but yeah we beat them like relatively recently we've actually beaten them twice this year that's the crazy thing that we sit where we are even though we beat Tottenham twice we beat Arsenal we've beaten West Ham uh, we had you know Drew with Chelsea and whatever but yeah it's all these other games where we've like throwaway points to Burnley, Newcastle, uh, you know, now Everton. And yeah, we've, we've obviously got Norwich coming up this season, uh, this weekend, <laughs> sorry, uh, who are obviously getting into some kind of form just in time to play us. Don't we have two points from Everton and Watford this season? Total. Yeah. Yeah. Four games. Just, yeah, just yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. Which is, yeah, an absolute shocker. And yeah, that's, that's just been like the kind of story of where it's all been thrown away. Uh, you know, I was even just looking at the odds briefly because I think I did announce on here when I was feeling pretty bullish that I'd put some money on as finishing top four. <laughs> oh, and I think around that time, I, I was getting something like four, what did I, I think it was like 4.5 to one, something like that. We're out to like 22 to one now uh, for top four over there. Uh, Tottenham, obviously now odds on 
Uh, I think Arsenal are sitting at something around three to one or something like that. And yeah, at that time when I put this bet, I remember Tottenham, Arsenal and us, we were all absolutely equal in the odds. The bookies couldn't separate us. I think we were uh, kind of ahead at the time, but they had games in hand and it all still like was things to be worked out. But now there's only like one game here and there separating everybody. And yeah, we're just like these these couple of last two weeks, basically, where they've getting Tottenham getting six points and us coming out with one is being the absolute killer. Um, but yeah, look, we'll, we'll look at this game briefly. I don't want to talk about it too much. Then uh, we do have quite a lot of questions that have come in from Twitter and a couple of other places, which is great. We always love getting questions from the listeners out there. So yeah, we'll cover those. And then, yeah, the general kind of news out there where still the managerial situation up in the air and a couple of other things going on around Manchester United. But look, let's just get this game out of the way so we can forget about it forevermore. Uh, <laughs> You know, I'd said last pod, look, surely, surely Everton, if we can't win that one, if we can't at least score a couple of goals against a team that just conceded three to Burnley, then yeah, where are we going to be? And uh, Ronaldo was back. Uh, Rashford started. Sancho was in there. I think the team, there was a couple of players out with like McTominay missing. All of a sudden, you know, Varane was injured, Shaw's out. So yeah, there was a few players missing, but it was still a decent enough team. And felt pretty confident looking at the lineup. Uh, you know, there wasn't anything really there to worry that much about, was there? No, no, I didn't think so. And I, to be honest, I thought when we came out, we looked quite sharp as well. We actually started really well. And, you know, it's been a story under Ranjik time and time again that we start well and maybe it lasts for half an hour, maybe it lasts yeah. for 45 minutes and then we kind of run out of steam. But this one lasted about 20 minutes, maybe. <laughs> I mean, uh, Rashford had two early chances and was kind of actually unlucky. Pickford we, made two good saves. Yeah, really good saves, really good saves. Uh, he looked sharp and you know the big thing was Rashford started on the left uh, something we talked about on this podcast like I said look that is his best position at the same time I could totally understand why he wasn't being given that his kind of favoured left bird because Sancho was playing well he was not playing like well enough himself to be like demanding no. to take him out of the team but yeah Ralph went with it and I think yeah he's Rashford now can't complain because he'd given him that chance on the left side. San but the problem was that as good as Rashford played for the first time in ages, all of a sudden Sancho was lost on the right side. You know, that right side is just an absolute curse for us. But I mean, yeah, it doesn't help when the person behind you is Aaron Wan-Bissaka, though, does it? Yeah, Wan-Bissaka had a stinker this game. And, uh, you know, I'm always pulling out the passing accuracy stats and he's at 59%. And he's had quite a lot of touches, 84, which is like as much as most of our players. Uh, you know, in fact, we had a lot of kind of possession in the wide areas. With, do you know who, which player off the top of your head do you think had the most touches for us in that game? Uh, probably Fred, and he only played half of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually Tellez uh, who by far you know second after him is Bruno and then it's actually Aaron Wan-Bissaka you know and that is of course a major issue like you know I I have defended Wan-Bissaka a lot in the past and I still think he's actually a decent defender but kind of on the ball attacking wise he has not progressed at all and then yeah. maybe even has like regressed as I say when he's like giving away the ball like four out of ten times here that is a major, major problem. Uh, and then, yeah, look, the, the rest of our play, it was just constantly, basically, it was like, give it to Tellez. Tellez throwing quite a hopeful cross, and that's it. Yeah. You know, Tellez, his crossing is not awful, but he tends to just smash it into an area. It, he's not hitting anybody in particular. He's not necessarily trying to find anyone's particular run. He'll just kind of consistently throw it around the kind of box and... That was about what we had. He was literally, all our creativity was coming from Alex Tellez and that's just not good enough. Well, no, but I, th I think cause he does like to hit his crosses early, but he, we don't have the striker that's going in there either for those crosses. Like, Ronaldo seems to be dropping deep far more than anyone ever expected him to. And that we just don't have the striker playing off the last man. So ultimately, those balls are ineffective when in a team that plays perhaps more on the front foot and will be going on to those balls or even trying to get the rebounds, they, they might work a bit better. I mean, yeah, it was actually Marcus Rashford who was the one who was looking more likely to get on these crosses and he nearly did with one of those headers. Mm. Uh, you're right, Ronaldo, though, he's 
he's dropping deep because he's isolated. He's not getting enough of the ball. He's getting frustrated. Uh, and in fact, you can see that Marcus Rashford only played about an hour and I had more touches than Cristiano Ronaldo managed in 90 plus, uh, which tells, yeah, quite a bit of the story in itself. Yeah. But yeah, Ronaldo just looked frustrated. And of course, there's this story now about the end of the game where he's taking his frustrations out on some Everton kid and that's all kind of blown up a little bit. But yeah, hopefully he's made his apology and all and that'll go away. Uh, you know, I think a bit too much made about these kind of things. Mm. But yeah, it, it is at least good to see that the players are pissed off. They were then, well, you know, yeah. they, you get a lot of these accusations from people saying they're not bothered, they don't care. And I don't agree with that. I just think that they're just not good enough. It's not like a lack of desire or whatever. It's just they're simply not good enough. No, I mean, I don't know where I fall on that because sometimes I think you, you watch a player like Paul Pogba play for us, and does he does he does he actually care? Does he care? Can you can you categorically say that he cares? And I'll be honest, I don't think he's all that bothered at this point. I think he's just counting down these days until he's on a new contract somewhere else. Well, look, you know. Pogba did not start this game. And as you said, we started the game relatively yeah. well. Yeah. Fred doing pretty well over there. And Fred had a kind of niggle like straight mm. away around the out, uh, half an hour mark. But he tried to play on. Uh, but you could see Pogba already getting ready. And then in the meantime is when we concede our goal. And it was the first attack, the first kind of shot that Everton had. And it was just the kind of way our things are going. Where their first shot, a massive deflection off Maguire and ends up in the back of the net. Um, yeah. I mean, again, it kind of comes from Juan Bissaka's side. Uh, you know, I don't know if you blame anyone in particular for that, but I know Wan-Bissaka has been getting quite a lot of pelters for not kind of getting back and trying to close down Richarlison. I, yeah, no, I blame Wan-Bissaka for that. you got to be motoring back to get, get you know, he saunters up to slightly close down the cross, but never he never gets close enough to actually close the cross down. He's just sort of there to watch it go by him. And there's nothing, nothing I hate more than someone who just doesn't, try to get there you know you've got to make it it's as simple as that you've got to make it even even in your five aside you'd be giving someone pelters for that the goal though it's unlucky it's unlucky it is unlucky, it is unlucky. Uh, at half time i said look we've played relatively well you know if we can come back into it and keep playing like that then i'm sure we'll get it uh you know the xg over here has everton at 0. 0.36 so basically showing that, you know, they're extremely lucky to get any goal in this game whatsoever. Uh, we, meanwhile, are at 0 0.75, which is also pretty shameful, really. Like, you know, Ralph said it himself in the post-match. He said that we can't score against a team that conceded three to Burnley. Then, you know, we don't deserve to be in Europe. Yeah, and De Gea as well had a bit of a rant saying, look, we're not, never mind not scoring. We're not creating anything and just don't know where we are. And it's actually quite rare. De Gea often comes out and he has very bland comments, says nothing much at all. Just, mm. yeah, we're really sorry. We need to work hard. We're going to come back. But more recently, he's come out with a couple of comments like this one. And as well, you know, he had that comment recently saying, I don't know if we're just cursed. There's just yeah. something we just can't <laughs> explain it anymore. It's some kind of like, all those years of winning under Fergie, we're now like, like uh, getting payback for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He just like seemed players, you know, a bit lost on why we were so bad. If, if one of the, one of the Pickford saves goes in, we probably, we probably do route with Everton, don't we? Mm. Mm. I, you know, I don't see them coming back into it, but it, it didn't go that way. And then they got a spawny goal against, I just, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that De Gea said something like that because I do think he sort of is perhaps one of the more experienced players in the dressing room now and it uh, is probably one that they need to look to for inspiration, which, you know, is actually probably a dark place to be, really. Yeah, I mean, it is only like De Gea who's really still that link to an Alex Ferguson title winning team. I mean, all right, I know Phil Jones is still kicking around Jones. on the bench as well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, De Gea is still the main, main link back to those times. And, you know, it's coming up to 10 years ago now, unfortunately. But yeah, that's where we're at. Um, but, you know, coming back, as I say, that goal goes in. You can't blame De Gea. It's a massive deflection off Maguire. I don't really blame Maguire no. either. Like I say, it's all about more the ball coming there. And then it's just, yeah, a huge stroke of luck for Everton. Uh, but yet again, it's more about our just lack of like, you know, what happens after going down. There well, was just 
that, that's oh. that's the thing. I think you know a lot of our intensity and impetus in trying to retrieve the ball or pushing the ball further up the pitch went with Fred going off the field. And I think um, once Paul Pogba came onto the pitch, I I feel as though other players slowed their games down to um, suit his game more, and it you know it just lets teams get into positions and um, defend. Yeah, I mean, look, Pogba comes on very soon after the goal. Obviously, yeah, Fred was slightly struggling. I still, I don't think the fact that he was obviously not fully fit made any difference to conceding that goal. No, no. But yeah, soon after that, the substitution is made. Fred goes off. uh, Pogba comes in. And yeah, I totally agree with you. It just seemed like we lost a lot of intensity. We lost a lot of the running. But yeah, we, we, we knew that. But that's the thing is that you hope that Pogba makes up for that by creating something, those passes, making the openings, you know, with Sancho, with Rashford, with Ronaldo. Uh, but yeah, there was, there was nothing. There was nothing. I mean, he didn't create anything whatsoever. He had a full hour. I mean, as I say, yeah, the only kind of players on there where you see Tellez, there was a couple of chances that Bruno came close to creating as well. A couple of things latish on from Jadon Sancho, who actually, once he switched back to the left, all of a sudden looked immediately more comfortable. Mm. So, yeah, there is a major issue there. You know, we all thought Sancho was coming in to solve our right-sided problem. And he played right side plenty as well. It's not that he hasn't played there. He's played there lots of times. But for whatever reason, he's really struggling whenever he plays on the right and just is looking much more comfortable on the left. And yeah, it was the same in this game. Like I said, after Rashford went off, which I was actually surprised to see Rashford come off. So was I, yeah. You know, he was the one who looked most like scoring. Even in the second half, there was another chance where he could have actually done better, where it was a pretty good ball from Bruno and he just kind of mistimed it, miscontrolled it. He was through. And if he'd got touch on that, then it looked like it was definitely a shot on target, if not a goal. Uh, So, yeah, I was a bit surprised, as I say, to see him come off on this one. But when he did come off, like I said, Sancho went that side and looked a lot, lot better. But, yeah, it was the lack in midfield, like you say. Nothing from Pogba. Uh, come in and yeah, I just, you know, I really don't know where we're at on Paul Pogba now. Uh, um, there's very few of our fans who have any kind of love for him left. No. There's very few who want to see him here next season. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, as I said, we have actually got quite a few questions from some of our listeners out there. And in fact, this one comes from Twitter, but it comes from Oshwin, who quite a few regular listeners will know is our kind of a New York United correspondent who we've not seen on the pod for a while either. But yeah, he, we might as well answer this question since we're talking about Pogba. He said, did the club let down Paul Pogba more than he let down the club? So how do you assess the blame for the lack of impact his arrival has had? Uh, so, yeah, let's look. Let's start with that. So, you know, I guess he's basically... Pogba's come out with comments, hasn't he, in the last few weeks. He always goes off on international duty and comes out with something. And this time he was basically talking about how, you know, the last five years have not been good, that he wanted to win. He doesn't feel like he has a regular role in this team, whereas he does with France. That's his been his kind of comment. You know, we often talk mm. about the difference. So he's, and France, he pretty much always plays in this kind of more midfield three over there whereas for us he has been shifted around a fair bit but I mean do you think he's been let down or do you you put it on Pogba well to be honest I think this is sort of a question that deserves a deep dive into it really and sort of assessing season by season because you know I've been doing some research and thinking back and like 
Can you think of a standout season that Paul Poplar's had for Manchester United? No, not a standout season. I don't think at any point he's ever been in contention for our player of the season. Uh, there's been month, times where he's had two, three months of very good form. Mm. Uh, you know, several times he has. And that's where you kind of get that bit of hope that, look, yeah. all right, he's happy again, he's playing well, and, you know, can he do it every week? And sometimes that's been kind of killed by actually injuries. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, he's had a few. But, yeah, on, on other times, it's just been down to him, really. Uh, I remember like when he very first came in, uh, I mean, I'll actually say that, I, and it's on record on this podcast, saying that I never wanted Paul Pogba back at this club because I did not like the fact that he left for free and that we were then going to pay for the nose to bring him back. And all the way back to then, I said I didn't, was not that happy about it. But when he came, obviously, you could see the quality in him. You know, we knew what he was. But right from day one, I remember there's always this question about what is his best position? Is he a number eight? Is he a number 10? Where should he play? And yeah. And he's never really been answered. Uh, no. You know, everybody's tried him in different places. But yeah, you know, he has never had a full, consistent standout season. No, not at all. And in a sense, do you think that's because too much too much expectation has been put on him to be a jack of all, sort of, not a jack of all trades, but that guy to make the entire team tick? Or do you think he needs, say, a Kante or, you know, a younger, not a younger player, but a, a player that will do the ball winning for him to to then pull the strings. I I think there's an argument because the way he plays for France is markedly different to the way he plays for Manchester United. I, I'll 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 read a quote to you that that um, I'm going to ask you who 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 said this and when. So Pogba has enormous qualities, but when he loses contact, when he loses concentration, he makes mistakes that are avoidable. Um, he needs to stop showboating in midfield. Now, who said that? I don't know. Could be anybody. Roy Keane. Yeah, no. Massimo Massimiliano Allegri in 2015. So, uh-huh. what's changed? Yeah, look, that's it. Not much. And, uh, you know, you can also compare the difference in kind of speed and intensity between the Premier League and international football. And maybe it's just that, you know, it's yeah. a slightly slower game, a bit more of a tactical game. It suits him perfectly. Uh, whereas, you know, in a bit more of intense where there's more people pressing, he's got to do a bit more running, a bit more hard work. It just doesn't work for him. You can, you know, and we have seen him sometimes play well, even defensively yeah, at times yeah. I've seen him do it. But I would say the times he's been at his best for United has always been more on the attacking side. It's more when he's making assists, uh, scoring goals. And I, I, that's actually been a big fault of his. He's never been a good goal scorer. His finishing has never been good enough. I've said on this podcast more than once that Scott McTominay is a better finisher than Paul Pogba. And, you know, when one of them is costing you 90 million and is supposedly one of the best midfielders in the world. And, you know, the other is just one of our academy products that a lot of people think is not good enough for this club. Then, yeah, it says a lot. Uh, But, yeah, Pogba's plus points has always been his passing, his creativity. And that's it. In this Everton game, it was nowhere to be seen. And that's too often it's been that. Too often you're just not getting what you want to see from him. And I think now almost everybody, although, yeah, still do see sometimes on Twitter a kind of hardcore Pogba FC contingent who are always, like, Mm -hmm. protecting him. But anyone I know has said, look, it's time for him to move on and I'm not going to be sad to see Paul Pogba leave. No, I'm just... At this point, I'm just sick of the conversation. Like, there isn't any formation or player or achievable signing that we can get that would bring the best out of Paul Pogba at this point at Manchester United. And that's that's not necessarily his fault, and it's not necessarily the club's fault. I think probably the, the the reality is somewhere between the two, and it's just one of those things where unfortunately it's it's for all, all, all the best intentions, it's it's not worked out over the course of what seven years now, six years. Yeah. Now. Yes, just... exactly. Uh, and you know, I remember Mourinho as well when he was put to him. Do you remember he, like France had won the World Cup and he came back, and even then that question was, you know, why? Is he looking world-class for France and not doing it for us? And he kind of made comments about saying that, you know, when he's away at a tournament, he's just focusing purely on football for those few weeks. Whereas when he's back here, there's too many other distractions. He was talking a lot about, you know, off-field stuff, about, you know, social media, about kind of, uh, you know, 
endorsements and things like that and his entourage. And yeah, maybe yeah, this is an issue, you know, and it's an issue where people talk about whether it's Jesse Lingard, also Marcus Rashford, things he has going on outside of football. Uh, you know, this kind of question comes up a lot nowadays and whether this is just a, too much of a distraction for some of these players and can go some way to kind of explain how you see the big difference in form. Uh, but look, anyway, I think we're all agreed for now that, yeah, Pogba's time is up. He needs to go and we need to see what happens from there. And, you know, I think maybe he would have left already if it hadn't been for COVID yeah, and not, nobody done, yeah. really been afford. Now he's obviously going to be available on a free. And I'm happy to see him as well starting games on the bench because he's not the future of Manchester United. And we should be, you know, giving other players who are the future, who are going to be here next season, more of the chance to play, really. Um, and the only other kind of talking point from this match, talking about players who are not the future of Manchester United, was Juan Mata making his <laughs> Premier League debut for the season, which is crazy for a player whose you know contract was renewed in the summer. And yeah. I, I remember a lot of people were kind of surprised by that. And I said, look, yeah, if you can come in, do a bit, his kind of influence around the dressing room and all can be a positive factor. But I'm pretty surprised myself at how little he has featured. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a shame, really, because, you know, at his age, he's not got much football left uh, to play at the top level, really, anyway. so And, you know, if I had the choice between him or Lingard to come on, I'd probably choose Mata, just because... At this point, I like the guy more, even though I do. I quite like Lingard as a person, anyway. But yeah, I. Yeah, and it looks like he might. Well, he's you know kind of top of the list of other players who will be leaving this summer. Um, maybe I think if he if Ole had still been here, then I'm sure Juan Mata would have been offered some kind of coaching role. Yeah. Uh, but with different managers coming in, different ideas. Let's see where Juan Mata goes. Uh, I, 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 most of the rumours say he feels he's not finished in actually playing football and still wants to continue playing. Maybe we'll go back to Spain or something like that. Uh, but yeah, he, he, you know, he even had a brief cameo like in uh, one of the other matches more recently. Atletico. Uh, yeah, exactly. In that yeah. game over there. But yeah, we've seen him very rarely. He's been sat on the bench all season. And uh, and it has been a season where we've lacked creativity, where we've lacked passing. And he is a player who can do that. Uh, you know, it's difficult for him to be thrown in for half an hour here and there, like once every two months. And uh, I don't know, you know, if he could have made more of an impact playing more regularly. But yeah, who knows? Like well, I say, he's not fair. the future of the club anyway. No, I think he probably, probably could. I mean, I was watching the Everton game and I was looking at the way Sancho was playing when he moved over to the left. And I was thinking, actually, you know, if if we had Matter four five years younger, well, they they'd form a fantastic partnership. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can see players are on the same kind of wavelength, and even like you know, last season had seen good kind of link up between like Matter and like Bruno, for example. Mm. Uh, but yeah, look, he's like I say, another player looks like his time is up. Yeah, and. You know, this summer is likely to be a big, big squad churn for us. There's so many players whose contracts are up or getting towards who will be let go. And it's going to be probably the biggest change we've seen like since Perth Fergie. I mean, there was that Louis van Gaal year where he had quite a massive cull and got rid of a lot of a lot of players. You know, there was like Nani, Rafael, Chicharito. He like let a lot of players go and kind of started from scratch and threw a lot of young players in there. But yeah, after that, you won't, I don't think there will have been like a summer kind of that we see that many players leave Manchester United. Uh, but yeah, unless you have anything else, I don't think there's anything else from that game that I really want to talk about. I didn't want to talk about it that much anyway. Uh, so I think, yeah, we've done pretty well to get through <laughs> whatever half an hour of the podcast, yeah. more or less talking about there. Uh, I mean, you know, let's go to one of the other questions that we've had out there. As I said, we had that kind of pompa question. And then there had been a couple of other questions. We had Glyn on Twitter again, Glyn496. He said, will David De Gea be our player of the season again? Uh, you know, he I think he won three. Was it three in a row? Kind of like way back when. And then more recently, we've had different players, whether it was Shaw. Bruno's had the last couple. Uh, I think Shaw and Herrera were the couple before then. So it has been kind of four seasons now since he has been our player of the year. Um, but yeah, he has had a damn good season. There's not many candidates, though, is there, for our player of the season? No, I mean, he's had a season, a good season by default, really, by, you know, not being total shit. Um, 
for me, I don't think you can give it to him. I don't, like, I think you got Fred, who's had be, had a far, much better standout season than, um, particularly since Rangit came in, than than David de Gea. Really, David de Gea has made saves you would have expected him to save the previous three years, but didn't. So by his previous levels, David de Gea has had an average season, I'd say. Well, I think he's had you know a much better season than he had done previously. But yeah, absolutely, he's uh, not been so great. And I, we have questioned a lot on this podcast, even though he is a great shot stopper, one of the best in the Premier League, his kind of all-round game, there is a lot lacking there, whether it's distribution, whether it's controlling his box, whether it's organising his defence on the wider kind of range, there is a lot of issues over there. Uh, so yeah, De Gea did win three in a row. Herrera had one, then he won a fourth one. Then our last three have been Luke Shaw and then Bruno's won the last two. I mean, the only other player for me who has any kind of shout and outfield for me is the one who deserves some kind of recognition is Fred. And really, I don't see any other player in the whole squad who even has any shout of being our player of the year who deserves any kind of recognition, really. No. No, no one. No one. Uh, so, yeah, look, that's, that's where we're at. I mean, you know, Fred's hardly been amazing either. So, yeah, we're down to kind of either De Gea or Fred. And, uh, you know, it is still called the Sir Matt Busby Player of the Year Award. But, yeah, it's going to be one of the worst winners of this award for sure ever. I think, yeah, it will be the worst winner that we've ever had. Because, you know, in those early seasons, like I said, De Gea won it, but he was a player who actually deserved to win it those yeah, times yeah. before. And, uh, you know, most of the other ones I was quite happy with at the time. But, yeah, we'll see now. It's, like I say, a few more matches left to go yet, but it's between probably Fred and De Gea with nobody else in contention whatsoever. I mean, I suppose Bruno deserves an honourable mention. He's not been at it this season, but his, his stats are still up there with, you know, some of the best in the league. So... His his season is comparatively bad, but yeah, it's true. He's still got some decent stats. He's still hitting good numbers on tran- chance creation and everything like that. But I don't think he really deserves to be in contention no, for no. Player of the Year. He's not scored, not assisted enough. Uh, so it's just been a kind of okay season for him, uh, which yeah. is still better than most of our players it who've is, been way way below okay, way below okay. Um, but yeah, and then yeah, Glyn did throw out another question, which I think is worth a quick chat on because we've never really focused on him that much since he's come in. But he said, has it gone under the radar that Varane has been a huge disappointment this season? I don't know. I, I, I think it's probably gone under the radar. I don't know whether he's a huge disappointment. I think his injury record is a huge disappointment. But when he's played, he's played quite well for the most part. I, like, I wouldn't attribute him to many goals to being at fault for many goals this season. Yeah, I mean, for me, the only disappointing thing has basically been his injury record. Uh, I mean, when he's played, I think he's generally been good. He's not been amazing, but when you stop start in and out the team, you can't get that kind of rhythm. And obviously, you know, he's been sometimes playing with an absolutely way out of form, Harry Maguire. Yeah. And, you know, defence... Uh, the right side with him, whether it's Juan Bissaka or whatever, is not our strongest either. So, yeah, I, I actually I don't think he has been disappointing, really. Like I say, it's just the injury record that mm. has been a massive disappointment. Um, he, you know, he was injured again on the weekend. I don't know how long he's going to be out for. and But you can see when he plays that he is a class player. Uh, yeah. Definitely better than what we had before. Um, and it's just a shame that then, yeah, Maguire's decided to have an awful season and that our defence looked absolutely no better than it did last season where we thought this was going to be the solution. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not like he's had be, been absolutely mugged off by the intensity and the speed of the league since moving from La Liga either. So, like, that that's probably one question mark you would have over him as a defender coming from Spain to England. But, no, I don't... I don't Like, like you say, I don't think he's had a... A bad season at all really just just a disappointing in terms of injuries exactly mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need a fast most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns don't miss our special mother's day deals save big on the season's most beautiful trends 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then, yeah, we had a few questions from uh, Ed Montgomery, who's one of our Patreon supporters and regular listener there. Um... I think the one that I'll pick out because it has been a regular discussion and still uh, is often in the chat and everything that we have. So he says, did we miss out on Conte? So Spurs are obviously now sat in that fourth place. He said he's getting the most out of some very average players and his passion must be infectious compared to cool as ice Ralph. So do you, do you regret that we didn't go for Conte? Personally, no, but I've got a bit of an agenda because I can't stand him. Uh, no, well, I mean, would you have said his passion was infectious when he was saying that the players are all shit and need to go? Would, would, would you, would you, would as a player, would you have appreciated that in you know saying, well, you know, these aren't guys aren't good enough for my time. Perhaps I need to have a con a conversation with the the um, levy, yeah, chairman, whatever. You know, no, I don't think I don't think we've missed out on him. Yeah, look, Conte is obviously a very good manager. There is no doubt about it. He mm. came in at Chelsea. He won the Premier League in his first season, which very few managers do. You know, yeah, absolutely. whether it's Guardiola, whether it's Alex Ferguson, whether it's Klopp, none of these managers ever won the Premier League in their first season. And he did that. And then he went back to Italy, won the league again. But he always seems to fall out with ownerships there and doesn't last very long. Uh, he quite clearly wanted our job when Ole was kind of struggling, but the club stuck with Ole at that time. And then he went and took the Spurs job before Ole was fired. I said at the time that I don't want Conte. I would still stand by that. I think if we'd got him, that we probably would also be sat in top four. Yeah. I think maybe we would be doing better. I don't doubt that at all because no. he is a very good manager and he is somebody who can turn things around quite quickly. But I still just don't think he's the right fit for us. I, you know, it's, sometimes it's a lazy kind of comparison with Jose, but there is similarities. You know, as you said, you know, he had that total meltdown when Spurs lost to Burnley, which is only, it was like end of February, last week of February, start of March, where, he, you know, like he said, it almost looked like he was resigning, asking for the sack, saying, I want to go. Yeah. Uh, he has, I mean, to be totally fair to him, of course, he's got the players to respond from that point. Mm -hmm. And now Spurs have got, on a good That's kind of true. run of form with uh, Son, even Kane is looking in a decent form for the first time in the season. Um, but I still don't regret that we didn't go for Conte because he's no. not the one I wanted. And yeah, I'm okay with the fact that he went elsewhere. Even And it's not just about being a really good manager. It's about, like I said, being the right fit for Manchester United. And for me, he was not the one. Um, but yeah, but, I know it's something that we're all quite split on. I know Colm did want him, whereas I know Imran still said I didn't really want Conte. So yeah, there's kind of 50-50 out there. I mean, even if we had Conte, does would us finishing the top four with Conte change the situation in our squad at all? Like, most of us have decided that a huge, huge swathes of this squad isn't good enough, aren't good enough, they need to go. Would Conte achieving top four paper over those cracks? You know, would we invest more? Yeah, I mean, I I still say, actually, that there is more quality in this squad than a lot of people think. And, uh, you know, it's players like, yeah, you like some Maguire, likes a Shaw, Rashford, that I still think can come back and show yeah. form that they showed, say, last season, when all of them were playing very well on a regular basis. Uh, and this season, none of them have done anything of the sort. No. Um, but yeah, I, uh, whether it would have made a difference, I don't know for the long term. It's the, you know, it's the more the kind of long term play. And yeah, for me, Conte was not the one. But yeah, I, I don't doubt him as a manager. I think no. he is a damn good manager. And I remember Colm, Colm did make the shout out when he said, look, I expect Tottenham now to finish above us. So yeah, fair play. That was absolutely yeah. looks like it's going to play out like that. And it was the correct shout there. But yeah, I still do not regret that we didn't go for him over there. 
And yeah, let's see what happens as Tottenham move on uh, from that place. Uh, then the one other question that, yeah, I'm happy to answer uh, <laughs> is comes to the kind of Glazer side of it. It says, I always think about the finances for our club post Glazers. Our debt has seems to be growing since 2005. The Glazers take up millions every year too. When will we ever see the debt get paid off? So look, I mean, it's absolutely clear that the Glazers have no intention of ever play, paying this debt off. Uh, you know, debt levels are not too far off where they were when they first took over the club in 2005. But the big difference is, is that the value of the club is several, several times higher. So even though the debts seem pretty big, they're actually not a major issue for the club anymore, finance-wise. Uh, you know, the amount of interest we pay can easily be paid. Uh, it's not like a problem for the club. We see how much money is spent on the squad all the time. But it is still money wasted. You know, money goes out on interest. It means it's money that's not being invested in the club. And although we can't really complain about how much money has been spent on players, uh, how much has been spent on training facilities, how much has been spent on keeping Old Trafford up to shape is a major issue. And that is where money could have been better spent where money has definitely been wasted and you can definitely look at money that the Glazers have taken out of the club whether it's their own dividends whether it's interest uh, and all that kind of thing um, but that's the simple thing people who still talk about how this debt came on and how come it's not gone down they have absolutely no intention of ever paying that debt off and for them they're quite happy with it being there they're not and you know for them it's a manageable level so yeah that's simply where it's at they'll it'll never go that debt will never go while the glazers are still our owners and that's yeah and i know for some fans that's always been something that they can't accept and they never will accept and i can totally understand that but yeah that is where we are at at the moment uh and in fact yeah because of where we're at i do see now there is some calls again for people to start protesting and things like that. Um, there's a group that I actually don't really know too much about who exactly is behind it, who are calling themselves the 1958 and who are calling for there to already be a kind of semi-protest on this weekend's game against Norwich for saying that they don't want the fans to go in the ground for the first 17 minutes, which is one minute for every year that the Glazers have been in charge. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many people kind of back this kind of protest. I, they're not getting backed by some of the bigger fan groups yet, like Must and things like that. And in fact, they've been kind of going out of their way to call out Must, which I don't think is the right way to go about things. I think, you know, this is a time where the fans need to kind of stay united and that doesn't necessarily help the cause. But yeah, if people want to protest, if people feel they want to boycott, they feel frustrated, then yeah, go ahead. I totally can understand where they're coming from. Whether that'll make any difference to the Glozes leaving or not, I don't really think so. Uh, you know, it, we did see huge protests last year over like the Super League, which did make a kind of difference. But that was a kind of specific situation. And I don't think we'll ever see something like that big again, unless we saw some crazy news like that has been rumours already that the Glazers intend to sell the ground and kind of, you know, lease back for paying for a new ground. I think something like that would see huge huge protest like we saw over the super league again um but otherwise yeah there's just too many people who kind of say look if we boycott somebody else will take our place there's too many people ready to take our tickets mm -hmm. and for something like you know this match on the weekend or even for the rest of the season every match at old trafford is already sold out every ticket has already been bought so it's not going to affect the glazers in any way if people don't show up to matches there can be a kind of um show for the tv for kind of publicity and things like that but it's not going to affect the glazers in their pocket in any way every ticket for every match of the season that bar maybe a few here and there has already been sold because we only have kind of three home games left now this year um i mean yeah i don't know how you feel about calls for protest and think for that things like that i i mean uh, there's a time and place isn't it i don't really understand what they protest is it is it just because we're low in the league and it's been just shit year because I mean we all want to protest about that, but what's it going to achieve? What, like, I, we spent money in the summer, it didn't work. So, you know, 
if that if that's why they're upset, then I don't understand it. But the overriding anti Glazer thing, I do sort of get. But I do uh, think I think it's better the devil you know at this point. It is my take. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, actually, it's more about the fact that I'm just resigned now to the fact that the Glazers aren't going anywhere. And as they yeah. say, they say they want people to not go in the ground for the first 17 minutes of the match because they've been here for 17 years. That's a long time. They've not just turned up recently. And, you know, I was absolutely there as well back in 2005, protesting against the ownership. I did not want them to be buying everybody's shares. You know, they forced fans who were shareholders at the time to sell all their shares. Many were unhappy. Uh, And, yeah, I was against that. Then, over time, I kind of took a view of, look, let's wait and see how things go. And obviously the club was successful mm. under Alex Ferguson, under David Gill. But when those two have left, that is when all the problems have really started. And, you know, it's been more about the kind of management, more about board decisions. I touched on this, you know, a couple of podcasts ago when the question came up and said that, you know, there has definitely been that Joel Glazer in particular is more involved in the day-to-day running of this club than his father ever was. And that is a problem. And we've seen that we've gone downhill massively since he started getting more involved. Since Glazer, Joel Glazer, since Woodward were making all these decisions, things have gone downhill, downhill, downhill again and again. And, you know, you say, why are they protesting now? And for me, the main kind of catalyst of this is obviously we had those Super League Uh, protests last year the Glazers then made a lot of promises and we're coming to a year on and there hasn't been that much that's changed no I get that I do get that that is why really that is where things are saying look they're saying look we're a year on now where is everything you know they talked about a fan share scheme that we kind of covered in quite deep detail a couple of podcasts ago so if you missed that one go and listen to the show two weeks ago uh that was the kind of international break one and you know must there is an announcement that came out from must just this week basically saying that look we have not accepted the fan share scheme that as the glazers have put it we are still in discussions with them and if we don't get anywhere then yeah we'll have to see what we kind of do from there. And I think Must are basically hinting that if the Glazers don't deliver something uh, in the next few weeks by, say, the end of this month, they will themselves probably call for some kind of protest. And I think it will be more likely that Chelsea game at the last game of the season. I think that's the one where we may well see a lot more kind of fallout from the fans and things that last game. Mm. Uh, so, all right, like I say, this other group that I don't know who they are, they're very mysterious. They've not kind of really revealed who's behind them. They just say, but they're getting some kind of traction online and, people are following them and yeah look let's see let's see there's been other kind of protests called where only like two men and the dog have showed up more recently yeah. well there's I been mean, a bit of a waste of time i've, I've seen this 1958 on the twi- on twitter the twitter <laughs> on twitter and I, I i sort of like it just seems a bit for me it seems a bit too militant at this stage before must have decided what they how they feel on everything sort of thing and that you know they've Discussions are still ongoing, which, you know, it's a positive step considering the last however many years anyway. And you've got to, wish, you've got, you know, you've got to go with the process while it's while it's going sort of thing. Perhaps I'm too passive. Oh, look, I, I said, look, just a couple of pods ago, I said that after a while, you kind of accept that Glazers aren't going anywhere and who is going to come in and buy them out anyway? Well, exactly. What kind of person? And then the, at that point, you say, look, the best thing then is to try and work with them, to try and influence their decisions on how things should be done. And, you know, especially for things for fans in terms of like, whether it's tickets, whether it's what's going on in the stadium, uh, try and influence any kind of decision-making on big things about things like the Super League and where things like that go. And I, I totally understand that people say, look, it's just nonsense. They're going to let somebody come in, sit on meetings, listen to them and completely ignore them. But I still think that that is better than not having any kind of fan representative in the boardroom and on a meeting. Even if they're just being paid lip service, I think it can make a difference. And, you know, I do know some of the guys at Must and they say that, look, we are have built kind of some good relationships with some people in the club and we're trying to do what we can. Uh, but yeah, it's a kind of watch this space situation. And But in a way as well, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that there can be kind of different groups around the club. You know, maybe must can work with the club and try and bring that change from the inside. 
And then maybe there does has to be a more kind of, as you say, I don't know, militant faction who are making sure the Glazers know that the fans aren't happy from the outside. Uh, it would be great if all these groups can work together rather than slagging each other off, as I've definitely seen recently, which is no good for anybody. No. But yeah, look, that's where we're at at the moment. Uh, as I say, I nobody's i wouldn't say nobody because i think there was some survey put out and there was something like four percent of our fans said they were happy with the glazers but <laughs> a, a very very small amount of our fans are happy with them but the fact is they're here it's very difficult to get them out uh you know when there was the big kind of green and gold protests back in like whatever 2008 9 10 at that point where if we're talking about debt the Glazers were in a much more precarious position yeah. where the debt was a much bigger kind of size. They were paying huge kind of interests and they were kind of in a kind of dodgy ground when like the credit crisis hit and things like that. So at that point, there was a kind of thing on maybe we can force them out or maybe force them to sell. But they managed to survive through that period. And now they're sitting very comfortably. They don't have any big issues. Like I said, this debt is not a worry. We can easily pay this interest and still have plenty to invest in the squad and all. The only question mark is where is the money going to come for improving the stadium, improving the training facilities? So these are the things that everybody is waiting for from the Glazers. Fan share scheme. How are we going to improve the training facilities? And then, you know, there is the more long-term things about the whole setup of the board, of the football side, who's making decisions that, you know, we don't really know too much about. But the concrete things we need to see from the Glazers are some kind of delivering on this fan share scheme that we were promised. And how are they going to improve Old Trafford and our training facilities, which are falling behind? I think these are the main, main factors for me. And yeah, before like the end of this season, we need to be hearing some concrete proposals because, yeah, one year is more than enough to be hearing something oh, on these things, right? Definitely. You definitely. One year is, you know, especially in the private sector, it's not like it's the public sector where um, things grind really slowly. One year is more than enough. Yeah, so look, we will watch this space. Uh, as I say, the next match is Norwich. Before we just do our quick kind of Norwich preview, want to give a shout out to our regular sponsors, Manscaped. Uh, you've not been on the pod for a while, Ed, so you're still getting good use out of your Manscaped performance I package? I am, yeah. <laughs> Lots of good use, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so still going strong over there. And yeah, yeah, I will say that about anybody who's thinking about them. It is actually the quality of these products that even like, you know, I can't remember when we first got these, but I think it maybe it's like one year ago or something now. Mm. And it's still like damn good kit. It's not the kind of cheap uh, stuff that you get sometimes where it's great for a few months and then you need a new one. Uh, it is high quality stuff they have. And it's their performance package, the lawnmower trimmer, the crop preserver and all that over there. Head over to manscaped.com. Com, use the code United Hour 20 and you'll get 20% anything you want on the website over there. And yeah, thanks to Manscaped for still supporting the pod over here. We've actually just extended with them for another three months. So yeah, get ready for three more months of the Manscaped blurb. <laughs> um, but yeah, heading over, looking at, like I said, Norwich now this week. So I said last week, surely, surely on the next pod we can talk about three points at Everton and we're not. Uh, so Ed, surely on the next pod, Norwich coming to Old Trafford, three points, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't seem that sure. No, well, yeah, why not? Three points, Norwich. Yeah, the Canaries will, you know, put them to sleep. Uh, we, we actually had an awful performance against Norwich. I think it was, was it just at the start of kind of Ralph's run where we just kind of managed to beat them? And, uh, you know, they've been playing, they've been playing better since they changed manager, but they're still kind of struggling at the bottom of the league, struggling for goals, although defensively they've been a lot better. They did I... actually just beat Burnley the other day, 2 0. So it's that kind of weird football get merry go round where. Burnley beat Everton, Everton then beat us, Norwich beat Burnley. So does that mean that we're gonna we're yeah. gonna be the bottom of this kind of pile of four teams and lose yeah. to all of them? No, that that's exactly where we are as a club, as a team. Uh, yeah, no, that this season, that yeah, that is it. Three points against uh, Norwich. That's that's the highlight of our season. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, look, as I said, I said last week, if we can't win this one, if we can't at least score a couple of goals <laughs> against Everton, then it's time to just give up. So, yeah, I think we're already kind of at that point. And, yeah, I see a lot of play- people like, out there saying, I have never been so depressed. And we had the question last week. In fact, I'll ask you the question that I asked Colm, that, you know, do you think that this is the worst season, Premier League season ever? Yeah. For us. Yeah, easily. Easily in the time that I've been watching football. It's just Yeah, we came down to basically this season or the Moy season. Yeah. That's what we came down to. I, I think with the Moy season, like like you guys said on the pod, you you know, you you're coming after Fergie, so everyone sort of expects a a drop down. And but this is just it's just a chore to watch us. It's just so difficult. And I don't you know, I was I for the first time in years, in a long, long time, I look forward. I, I look forward to the uh, international break because I didn't have to watch us on a weekend. You know, just the same boring shite. It, it <laughs> is sad. It is sad to see uh, where it's at, and yeah, I see a lot of people saying. I'm not going to watch these matches anymore, whatever. But yeah, I'll tell you, I will still watch every minute oh, yeah. of every Manchester United match, regardless of how bad we are, whatever's going on. I will still be there wherever I am. Yeah. Uh, the only time I've missed any minute of any Manchester United match in recent history is when I've been on a flight. Uh, for That's the only time. Otherwise, I've, like I said, every minute of every match, whatever's going on, I will be watching. Yeah. Um, but no. yeah, maybe these guys who are planning not to go in the stadium, they're the ones who've got the right idea, yeah? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not, maybe not for the first 17 minutes because that's the time that we actually play well. But uh... <laughs> no, You're right, actually. You're right. We normally start pretty well, so they're going to miss the good bit. Yeah. Maybe they need to come back and replan this and yeah, yeah. Uh, walk out a bit later. Walk out uh... the last 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. We always start well, guys. Yeah, you need to be in there for the start. Uh, but yeah, yeah, joking aside, I actually think a kind of like mass walkout probably would have a more of a kind of TV impact the only thing these it things does. can have is really a kind of TV publicity. As I say, if players, fans stay out the stadium, whatever, it's going to make no difference to the Glazers. All those tickets are sold. As I say, they're sold for every match of, that's left of this season. So people even say, you know, next match, boycott, whatever. There's no point. It's not going to hit them. It's not. And anyway, it's never going to be. It's never going to happen on mass. That is the problem. Our fan base is too big. Our fan base is too disparate for there ever to be any kind of huge boycott of a game. It's just literally never going to happen. It's been tried so many times and it's just not going to get there. So, but yeah, at the same time, like I don't say there's anything wrong with protesting. I think it can help. It can send that signal that we're not happy. We want some answers. We want some change. So yeah, look, if people are on for that, feel free. Go and check out what's going on. The information is out there, as I said. I don't know much about these guys who are calling for it. And I personally will wait till I hear it from more official groups like Must and things like that. And we'll see from there. But yeah, it has been called for this Norwich game. Uh, the match will be there. We I don't want to talk that much about it. But then we have Liverpool soon after our only midweek game. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are very worried about what goes on in that match. Uh, you know, if we can at least turn up for that Liverpool game and stop them from winning the league. I think that's pretty much all we've got left to look forward to this season. Right, Ed? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I'm looking forward to now. I mean, I'll be severely disappointed, I imagine. But yeah. Yeah. You never know. You never know with this United team. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's often those bigger games that we do actually show up for. And it's the smaller games that have been a mess for us in more recent times. As I said earlier, we beat Tottenham twice. We beat Arsenal. We beat West Ham. We were the teams all around us. And it's been all the teams at the bottom that we've thrown points away against again and again. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, look, we will try and come back after Norwich. If not, we will definitely be back after that Liverpool game. Uh, yeah, good to have you back on the pod, Ed. Are you going to be back in regular rotation? Uh, possibly, possibly, maybe (laughs) close to next season, but we'll, I'll try, I'll try after the Liverpool game. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, we are also hoping to maybe focus on a couple of other parts of the club and upcoming podcasts. Look out for that. We're going to get somebody on to come and talk about the women's team. Because as I said, the men's team is a write-off. So I said, look, let's try and focus on some more positive things. And the women's team are doing very well this year. So we will get somebody on who's more like in-depth knowledge on them. And also in the academy, you know, we will talk about them on the next couple of shows. Because yeah, our youth team have reached the FA Cup final for the first time in like more than a decade now. So, yeah, there is good things going on in other parts of the club. So, yeah, in the next few episodes, look out for more focus on what's going on and around some different teams in the club. 
Bob Dare, uh, because yeah, we, we do really don't want to be talking much about the absolute mess that is the yeah. men's team at the moment. Yeah, uh, I do but, think it's always funny that we say it's a one-stop shop for all things Manchester United, but we never talk about the women's team. Or, or the... <laughs> oh, to be fair, we have done in the past. And I mean, yeah. I remember, in fact, like, Craig used to watch them a fair bit when he was on. And I think he has only been on once this season. I, I've been to a couple of the women's games myself, but have I you? do admit that I've not watched them at all this season. Yeah, in that first season, I actually did go to a couple of their games. And uh, yeah, I can't recommend it to anybody who's, you know, it's a good thing as well sometimes for introducing kids to football, mm. where, you know, tickets are much cheaper and things like that than what you have to pay to go to all Trafford. So yeah, anybody who's considering it's a good thing. But as I said, we are working on getting somebody on in the next show or the show after who knows a lot more about the women's team to talk about what's going there. Because as I say, the women's t- the women's football is where it's at. Manchester United are going for the league. Liverpool got relegated last year and are in like <laughs> women's championship. So yeah, I'm really considering forgetting men's football and watching <laughs> that, the women's that, stuff instead. <laughs> that's, the, sort of, that's sort of my dream as a United fan for like the last however many years just to see that. So yeah, I should be watching women's football instead. Yeah, they? exactly. <laughs> Riding high over there. <laughs> definitely going for the Champions League places, whereas Liverpool are trying to get back in the Women's Premier League. Uh, uh, but yeah. yeah, okay, that's uh, I think it for us for this week. And yeah, we will see you on the next one as usual. Please hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, we were really happy to get these questions from some of our Patreon guys, some of our Twitter guys. And uh, yeah, any questions and topics you want us to cover, just yeah, send us a message. Yeah, but yeah. Please do. That's all from us for night. Good night from me. And good night. Sports Social Podcast Network.